I read a story this past week that I thought would do well to introduce this lesson. A little girl was lying on her bedroom floor with a box of crayons strode open and a pad. She was drawing. Her father walked through the door and looked at her and said, Honey, what are you drawing? She didn't even bother to stop and look up at him. She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And he sort of smiled and he said, Well, honey, no one knows what God looks like. And she looked up and she said, They will when I'm done with my picture. Well, I'd like to be able to say that when I'm finished with this series of sermons, that you know what God looks like. But yet, when I'm finished, I will have but pointed your mind in His direction. I will not be able to exhaustively describe an infinite and almighty God. Like that little girl, I can only draw a picture that will in a very feeble effort, portray a multidimensional infinite being in two dimensions. What we know of God, we know from God. Had God chose to remain aloof and afar, we could never know anything about Him. That's deism. God could have remained forever obscure from us. But the Bible says God did not do that. The Bible says that God chose to reveal Himself to us, what He is like, what He expects from us. And what we know of God, we know from God. The Scriptures have revealed Him to us, and He gave us the Scriptures. He has made His nature and His power and His will observable in many ways. One way is through nature. Psalms the... 19th chapter, verses 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night uttereth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So today, we'll continue in our series of lessons on understanding God. This is part three. And again, in 30 minutes, I will attempt to explain the unexplainable. A finite being attempting to explain an infinite being. Now keep in mind that though God cannot be completely known by the finite, He has made Himself known to us and in some sense, we can know Him. Never completely, never comprehensively, but we can know Him. Ezekiel 20 and verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord on the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them. In the land of Egypt I raised my hand in an oath to them saying, I am the Lord your God. In John, the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 3, only hours before Jesus is betrayed, and only a few more hours before He is put on the cross, Jesus would pray and lift up His eyes to heaven and say, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may also glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. 
And this life is life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. God can be known by you and by me to a certain extent, because He's revealed Himself to us. So today, we're going to continue to look at this picture of God, a picture drawn not by a little girl with crayons, and a picture drawn not by a preacher, but by God Himself. Now, before we get into the meat of the lesson, let's take a quick review of what we've learned so far. In our first lesson, we saw where God is incomprehensible. God can never be completely comprehended by any created being, be it angels or archangels or cherubim or seraphim or man. We can never completely and totally comprehend God. We also learned God was eternal. He is the uncaused cause. He has always been. We saw where God is triune. The Godhead consists of three separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All God, all a part of a Godhead, one in purpose. And we saw where God is Creator. Everything that exists in the universe is a result of God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made, John would say in his introduction to his Gospel, talking about the second person of the Godhead. In our second lesson, we saw where God is sovereign. Where God is sovereign. He rules the universe. The Bible says He is King of kings, Lord of lords. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15, Revelation 17, 14. We saw where God is infinite. There is no limit to God. His power is infinite. His holiness is infinite. His love is infinite. Everything about God is infinite. And we also saw where God is transcendent. He exists in, through, and outside the creation. He is not bound by gravity, time, space, power, or anything. He is transcendent. Today we'll continue that process, and if you miss some of those points, then you can simply look on the cover of your bulletin because the ones we're going to hit today, as well as the ones I just mentioned, are there. But today we continue to try to understand God, and we continue in understanding that God is self-existent. Self-existence and eternality are similar. The eternality of God demands the self-existence of God. In other words, God's eternality exists because He is God. He eternally exists in and of Himself. His eternal existence is not dependent on anything outside of Himself. If there was something outside of God that God depended on for His eternal existence, then that thing would be greater than God. And hence, there would be something in the universe that was greater than God. God's eternality and His self-existence are simply how God is. Now remember, in this series of lessons, as we talk about these attributes of God, remember that God is all of these things that we talk about. Not God has all of these things. God is the great I Am. As Moses stood in the presence of God, and as God commanded him to go back into Egypt to deliver the people, the Bible records that conversation between Moses and God. Exodus, the third chapter, verses 3 through 15, the Bible says, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, 
I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God moreover said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. God's self-existence is defined in His very name. I am that I am. And God would tell Moses when they ask the name of the one that sent Him, tell them, I am has sent you. God's self-existence is proclaimed in His name. God is a God who has no origin. Novation said God has no origin. Tozer said in speaking of God's self-existence, it is precisely this concept of no origin which distinguishes that which is God from whatever is not God. Origin is a word that can apply only to things created. When we think of anything that has origin, we are not thinking of God. God is self-existent. While all created things necessarily originated somewhere at some time, aside from God, nothing is self-caused. Now, we may ask the question, what's our relevance here? How is this relevant to me in my daily existence? Jesus claimed the same self-existence that God claimed. In John the 8th chapter, in verses 52 through 59, Jesus was in a confrontation with the Pharisees, which would become more intense as the cross drew nearer. The Jews said unto him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. Jesus claimed for himself the same title that God the Father had given himself in Exodus the third chapter, I am. You and I may have missed that, but the Jews didn't miss it. That's why they took up stones to stone him. Because in their mind, he was guilty of blasphemy. Tozer asked the question when it comes down to the relevance of God's self-existence. He said, what possible meaning can the self-existence of God have for me and others like me in a world such as this and in times such as these? To this I replied that because we are the handiwork of God, It follows that all our problems and their solutions are theological. Some knowledge of what kind of God it is that operates the universe is indispensable to a sound philosophy of life and a sane outlook on the world scene. Tozer was saying that if you don't understand this self-existent God in any way, the world is insane. It's a world... Gone crazy. He was also saying, since we are the handiwork of God, created in God's image, all of our problems and all of our solutions have to be linked to God. In some sense, there is an answer and a theological aspect that will help us with our problems. 
We so often miss that one. God is self-existent. The next thing we need to see about God is that God is self-sufficient. Now you may be sitting there thinking, well, hey, wait a minute. Self-existence and self-sufficiency, aren't they the same thing? No. Self-existence touches on the eternality of God and the fact that He is the uncaused cause. Self-sufficiency of God points to the truth that God does not need anything to exist and continue to exist forever. God needs nothing. Now, you'll be surprised at this, but when I was a younger man, I had a little bit of spunk in me. Still got a little bit of spunk. But I remember there were times when I'd get angry with my mom or my dad and I'd storm out of the house, and you might know a teenager like that. You might even have been one. But I'd storm out of the house saying, I don't need anyone and I don't need anything. Well, if you're older, you realize that that kind of statement comes more from pride, ego, and ignorance than it does knowledge. We do need certain things. We need food, though some of us could do with less. We need water. We need clothing. We need shelter. Despite the pride and the ego of the young man or the young woman who makes that kind of statement, we are not self-sufficient. Only God can claim absolute self-sufficiency. Psalms, the 50th chapter, verses 10 through 12, says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. God is saying, I'm self-sufficient. I'm not going to ask you for anything because you are not. And I own everything. God is life. Everything in this world that has life in it sprang from God. In John the 5th chapter, in verse 26, Jesus makes this statement. The Father has life in Himself. Tozer comments on that statement and he says, He, Jesus, thus in a brief sentence, sets forth truth so lofty as to transcend the highest reaches of human thought. God, He said, is self-sufficient. He is what He is in Himself in the final meaning of those words. Your life is a result of God's self-sufficiency and His grace. No one can boast self-sufficiency but God alone. You may ask the question, how is that relevant to my life? God actually holds the universe together. In Colossians, the first chapter, verses 13 through 17, the Bible says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him. All things consist. The contemporary English version says God's Son was before all else and by Him everything is held together. The message puts it this way. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. The relevance of God's self-sufficiency is because every breath that you take, every moment your heart beats, it is because God is self-sufficient and He holds this universe together. 
But as we continue in our lesson, we must also understand that God is omniscient. Now the word omniscient simply means all-knowing. God possesses perfect knowledge of all things, past, present, future, including alternate realities. There is nothing that God does not know. Not only does God know all things, He knows all things exhaustively. The past, the present, the future. He knows it perfectly, completely, absolutely. Isaiah the 46th chapter in verse 9 says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. God even knows alternate realities. In Matthew the 11th chapter in verses 20 through 24, Jesus began to upbraid the cities wherein most of His mighty works were done. Because they repented not. And He said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works that were done in you would have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee would have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. God's omniscience is such that He can tell what would have happened under a different set of circumstances. He could tell that if the works that He had done there in those cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, if those works would have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. If the works that Capernaum saying, if those works would have been done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained until that day. That's an alternate reality. It's also called middle knowledge. You know what it does? It takes away any excuses you might offer at judgment. Now, Lord, if I would have just known, God can show you exactly what would have happened had you just known. The Bible points to God's omniscience. Job 37 and verse 16 Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of Him who is perfect in knowledge? Psalms 147, 4 and 5, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our God, and of great power His understanding is infinite. Psalms 139 and verse 4, the psalmist said, You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Psalms 44 and verse 20 and 21 If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. 1 John the 3rd chapter 19 through 21, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and can reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In Matthew 10, verse 26 through 30, Jesus said, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that shall not be revealed, or hidden that shall not be made known. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows perfectly and exhaustively, all things. 
He knows right now, everyone who's sitting in here, He knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, for God, that's easier for some of you than it is for others. But God knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. God knows everything perfectly, exhaustively. He knows everything there is to know. God knows exactly where you were last night at 10 o'clock, 20 minutes after, 32 seconds after that. He knows where you were. He knows the very thought that was on your mind. And if you were speaking, He knows the exact words that you used. God knows exactly what you did last year at exactly 10, 20, and 32 seconds p.m. on April 28th. He knows where you were. He knows the thought that was on your mind. And if you were speaking, He knows the words that you used exactly. God knows what you did 20 years ago at exactly 10.20 and 32 seconds p.m. on April 28, 1992. He knows exactly where you were, what you were thinking, and if you were speaking, the words that you used. Now, multiply that by every moment of every minute of every hour of every day of every year of every life and then multiply that by 7 billion people that are alive right now. Now multiply that by a universe of stars and planets and asteroids and comets and God knows what's under every single rock on every single planet in every single galaxy of this universe. Now multiply that by the unseen realm filled with angels, archangels, seraphim, cherubim, The souls of departed men. Beyond number, the Bible says. Multiply that and all of their thoughts. And multiply that by everything everyone has ever thought, felt in their heart, felt in their souls for all time. In this realm and the unseen realm. And if you can follow that illustration, we have only touched the hem of the garment when it comes to the omniscience of God. Now you may ask, why, how, how, how is that completely relevant? i got an idea, but... Well, we forget that God is watching. Psalms 33, verse 13 and 14, The Lord looks from heaven, He sees all the sons of men. From the place of His dwelling, He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. You know, actually, God's omniscience can work in our favor as much as it can work against us. Tozer points this out. He says, In the divine omniscience we see set forth against each other the terror and the fascination of the Godhead. That God knows each person through and through can be a cause of shaking fear to the man that has something to hide, some unforsaken sin, some secret crime committed against man or God. The unblessed soul may well tremble that God knows the flimsiness of every pretext and never accepts the poor excuses given for sinful conduct since He knows perfectly the real reason for it. Thou hast set our iniquities before Thee, our secret sins in light of Thy countenance. Now on the other side of that are those who follow and to us who have fled for refuge and lay hold upon the hope that is set before us in the gospel. How sweet it is, the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No tale-bearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. 
No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us since He knew us utterly before we knew Him and called us to Himself in full knowledge of everything that was against us. God knows you completely, exhaustively, every thought of your heart, warts and all. And He still wants you. God is omniscient. In addition, though, to God's self-existence, His self-sufficiency, His omniscience, we must also understand that God is omnipotent. Now, omnipotence means simply all-powerful. Revelation, the 19th chapter and verse 6, the Bible says that when John beheld the things in heaven that he would record in the book of Revelation, he heard as it was a voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now the word translated here is the same word for almighty. It is used ten times in the New Testament. Only once is it used outside the book of Revelation and that is in 1 Corinthians. The parallel word in the Old Testament is the word El Shaddai. It means God Almighty. It is used as a name for God. The word Almighty appears 57 times within the pages of Scripture. And it always and only is used in reference to God. Because God alone is Almighty. Tozer said sovereignty and omnipotence must go together. One cannot exist without the other. To reign, God must have power. To reign sovereignly, He must have all power. Since He has at His command all power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All His acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for Him to look outside of Himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all things that He wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in His own infinite being. I don't know if you remember last week we had up here a clip of the universe and what the universe is like. The universe, if you travel at the speed of light at 186,000 miles per second, it will take you 13.6 billion years to cross it. That's how huge it is. In thinking of God's omnipotence, God could have made a trillion, trillion of those universes. Stacked them on top of one another and would not have expended one iota of His power. He would not be tired. He would not be needing of rest. He is all-powerful. Now, we need to understand something. There are limits to power. Now, you might be a little confused by that, but there are some things that God cannot do. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 and verse 18, God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God cannot fail to fulfill a promise. If He did so, He would be a liar. That's why I know Christ will return one day because He said, I will come again. John 14 verses 1 through 6. God cannot change. Malachi 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord. I change not. This means God is not going to stop being God. He's not going to be rolled around on the waves of emotion. And one way one day and one way the next day. God is the same always. He does not change. Nor will He ever cease to be. 
God cannot sin or be tempted to sin. James 1 and verse 13, James said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, I will deal with this more in the future as we continue this series, especially when we get to the one where God becomes a man. But there are some things that are not subject to power. We need to understand that. Some things that are not subject to omnipotence. Second Peter, the third chapter, in verse 9, Peter's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy, the second chapter, verse 3 and verse 4, God is our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The Bible makes it clear that God wants all men to be saved. But most men, most men will be lost. You say, how can you make such an extreme statement? I'm just following Jesus. In Matthew the 7th chapter, verse 13 and verse 14, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate. And narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. According to Jesus, most people will be lost. That's not God's will. But because God has sovereignly decreed that man should have free will to do as he pleases when it comes to accepting or rejecting God. Man's free will is not subject to God's omnipotence. It is not subject to power. Now, that doesn't diminish from God's omnipotence. On the contrary, it actually complements it. God is powerful enough to allow His creatures to have freedom of choice and provide them with a means by which they can return to Him and be saved. And we'll talk about that when we get to Calvary. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The Scriptures make this clear. Job 42.2 I know that thou canst do anything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Jeremiah 32.17 Lord God, behold, Thou hast made heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. Jeremiah 32.27 Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for Me? Isaiah 14.24 The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. Isaiah 14.27 For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Isaiah 40 and verse 28 Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Psalms 115 verse 3 But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased in Isaiah 43.13, I am God and always will be. No one can escape my power and no one can change what I do. Relevance? (laughs) Boy, this one's big time relevant. God has delegated all power and all authority to Christ. In Matthew the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 20, before Christ ascended into heaven, He called His disciples together and He spoke to them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. 
In John the 5th chapter, in verse 22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Jude the first chapter in verse 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. Omnipotence, there's a great day coming. You will stand before an all-powerful judge who has all authority and your eternal destiny will be decided on your actions here in this time. I'll remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those that kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able. Some versions say, who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Is it relevant? You bet it's relevant. And when you stand in judgment, I dare you to look over at me and say His power is not relevant. God is omnipotent. Finally, we, as we grow in our understanding of God, must understand that God is omnipresent. Omnipresence means simply that God is everywhere. Now, we can't confuse this with what's called pantheism. Pantheism is the belief that God is everything and everything is God. And if you take that to its logical conclusion, I'm God, you're God, this glass, these glasses are God, this pencil's God. Everything's God. The Bible doesn't teach pantheism. But the Bible does teach that God is everywhere at one time and at all times. Remember that God sits outside the scope of and the limits of time. He is not subject to time and gravity and space and distance and matter. He sits outside and beyond it, yet at the same time He sits within it. He is omnipresent. The Bible points to this truth. In Psalms 139, 7-9, the psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? As Solomon stood dedicating that first temple that God would dwell in in the nation of Israel, he said in 1 Kings 8 and verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple that I have built. And though this does not lend itself completely to omnipresence, Jesus said in Matthew 18 and verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. God is everywhere at every time, but He is here specially, in a special and unique way because two or three are gathered together in His name. Is it relevant? You bet. For the Christian, it's absolutely relevant. It's a special presence of the Lord that He dwells with us no matter where we are, no matter where we are in life, no matter what we face, God is with us. He is with us every moment. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of the most comforting passages to the Christian is Psalms 23. I hope when it's my time to leave this world, if I am conscious and able to speak, that I will be able to recite this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever, the omnipresence of God is most important to the Christian, most relevant to the Christian, because God is with us. When we gather together on Sunday morning, He is here in a very special and unique way, unlike the way He is on the other side of the universe. It is special that God is omnipresent and He is with us. So we come down to the end of the lesson, understanding God. I'm basically finished like the little girl. With the crayons and the drawing pad, I've tried to draw a picture. I hope maybe you can see God a little clearer. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. There's so much more that will continue in this series of understanding God. But I'll close with this story. A four-year-old was at the pediatrician for her checkup. As the doctor looked down her ears with a notoscope, he asked, Do you think I'll find Big Bird in here? The little girl didn't say anything. She was silent. Next, the doctor took a tongue suppressor and looked down her throat. He asked, do you think I'll find the cookie monster down here? She didn't say anything. She was silent. And then the doctor took out his stethoscope and he listened to her chest. He listened to her heartbeat. And he asked, do you think I'll hear Barney in here? She was silent no more. She spoke up and said, oh no. Oh no. Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my drawers. <laughs> if we were to listen to your heart this morning, what would we hear? Better yet, who would we hear? Who's in your heart?